Welcome to the podcast, Most People Don't, But You Do, where we have stories and conversations about people that are going above and beyond to make a difference, not just from a professional lens, but also from a personal lens, giving back and contributing to helping others. Today's guest is no exception. First of all, my name is Bart Berkey. I'm the founder of Most People Don't. This is going to be episode 107 or 108, and we are thrilled just to be recognized as the top 15% most shared podcast in the globe. So thrilled. Today's guest is Emily Cole. She is the owner of Savannah Bananas. She has been owning that company, that organization, that team for a little bit over eight years. I love how she describes what she gets to do. And then we're gonna dive right into questions to learn not only more about Emily, learn about the prospect of starting a company like this. She describes what she does is having fun and creating an amazing customer experience with some of her favorite people. And that's what the game of baseball does. She's fortunate to have found a passion that allows her to drive to the ballpark every day and she creates memorable experiences for others. I have goosebumps already, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Positivity and fun and joy, it's what we're all about, and that aligns perfectly with your brand. Yeah, so Emily, I, I wanna learn more about you and your progression. I know you've been involved in the sports world and marketing. Can you tell us a little bit about starting at the beginning, growing up, did you always know that you wanted to be the owner of a very unique baseball club? Like, tell, walk us through growing up. Yeah. Looking back, people always ask, did you know, was it going to be like this? Is this what you wanted to do? And of course not. Nobody can see that as a child, but I was blessed to have a wonderful family. Uh, My parents still together over 40 years and I have three younger brothers. So My family was very close. We were constantly outside doing things and then just a very athletic family growing up with three boys and all boy neighbors and cousins. Sports was just a huge part of my world and didn't know exactly where I could take that, but went to school and studied marketing, communications, PR, and got a job right out of college that was in marketing, but not in sports and thought I had made it. You've got the big girl job right out of school, but unfortunately found myself hating my eight to five. And it it was not what you think. Marketing is this sexy word. You think you're going to be big and have this impressive career, but I was sitting in a cubicle alone and not enjoying it. And so what I did was I went out and I got an evening job at the ballpark just to get back to sports and to have fun. So I found that I was hating my eight to five, but then I was loving my five to 10 and I was loving the part-time job more than my full-time job. And so I said, is there something here? And fortunately pursued it and was able to break into the sports world that way and and started working for a baseball team full-time and realized that I could make a career out of it. So no, did not know that this is where I was going to be when I started out, but very glad to have followed the passion and and found it. And were you an athlete growing up? Yeah, I was. I was a small town, so I'm not going to say that I was really that great, but we played at least three sports year round. And it was just a huge part of our community. And we just played outside in the backyard every day. And even though I knew I wasn't going to go anywhere with it professionally, it was just a part of and is still a part of my daily life. We're very active. We exercise all the time. And so I knew I wanted it to be a part of my life. And then knowing that I could connect it and make it part of my career too, was just icing on the cake. And where was this? Where did you grow up? I know you're based in 
Uh, well, yeah, now we're in the South, but upstate New York, way back okay. when, yes. Okay. Yeah, and before we hit record, before we're broadcasting, Emily and her husband uh, are in North Carolina with spending an awful lot of time in Savannah and touring with the team all over the world. And we will get to that in a moment. Were your um, parents, and again, congrats on over 40 years being married. That is unusual. Unusual. Yes. My parents yeah. were married over 50. Wow. And, and it is. It's special and it's unusual. Were were your parents entrepreneurs by chance? So my dad was self-employed, but I think there's a difference between being self-employed and being an entrepreneur. It's funny because now later in life, he has become more of an entrepreneur. But back then, he wasn't in a sense where he was just comfortable having his small one-man shop. And of course, there were elements of entrepreneurship, but that wasn't really what sparked me. To me, what I learned most from my parents was just that family came first. Mm -hmm. He always left work to come to us. And that was the priority. And so I learned that from him more so than go out and work really hard and be creative and do your own thing and be the entrepreneur. And then my mom was a stay-at-home mom. So I really learned elements from both of them about putting family first and caring for people, which we'll get to later when we talk about the bananas. But that really, that lesson has instilled more in me in how we run our company now, I think, than anything else family values and being kind and being there for dinner. Uh, Emily, when you were talking about your nine to five and then your five to 10, I cannot tell you, we have two children, 24 and 22. They're friends in our conversations with them. I cannot tell you how many side gigs younger people have these days because maybe they are working that nine to five job for benefits, for stability, for (laughs) paying their mortgage or their rent, but it's not necessarily what they're passionate about. I just presented to a group of CEOs in Wisconsin last week, and I was asking them, why should someone come work at your company? And their answers brilliantly were not about pay. It was about you can make a difference. Mm -hmm. You can contribute. You can change the world. So I understand exactly that perspective, and I'm so happy that you were able to find that passion. Okay, yeah. so you're volu- not you're volunteering, you have a second job in the ballpark, you're working five to 10, you're helping out with things. Then where does that lead to? So I applied for and got a position with Ripken Baseball. So Cal Ripken Jr. and his brother Bill owned a company and they owned minor league teams and they did a lot with youth sports. And so I found that there were indeed full-time careers. And so I made the switch, started working for them and was working for that company for a couple of years when my boss at the time with Ripken heard my now husband, Jesse, speaking at a conference. So meanwhile, while I'm getting my start in the industry, Jesse is doing the same thing. And because he is a lifelong learner and always wanted to learn, and he's a go-getter, at the age of 24, he started hosting his own conference where he invited people from the industry. And so one of my bosses at Ripken went to this conference and heard Jesse speak. And she actually left the room, called me and said, I just met the guy you're going to marry. 
So wild uh, story and how we originally met, but she just saw the passion and conviction from him and what he wanted to do the industry in the industry. And she saw the same thing evidently with me back home with her teams. She connected us professionally and we just talked about different ideas and things that we wanted to do in the industry. And that's where we really got first connected. But that's where I worked for a couple of years and, and got my start in the industry before Jesse and I ended up saying, hey, let's really give this thing a shot and um, working together at a team. Yeah, that's so cool. Okay, so at 24, and I don't know this about his background, I only researched you. Yeah. Um, he started a conference to talk about baseball and how to evolve it. Is that correct? At 24? So Jesse was a baseball player, was, had the hopes and the dreams of making it big, but unfortunately tore his shoulder his senior year in college. And so all those dreams come to a halt. And now looking back, he can say it was the best thing that ever happened to him because he thinks he just would have been an average player in the minors for how many years do you hold on to that dream before you realize it's gone. But instead he tore his shoulder. He never had the chance to, to get signed. And so he started working in the front office of sports and really what I was doing, but seeing it from an entirely different space because he'd always been in the dugout and now he was in the front office. And so it was a blessing for him. But when he did get to that front office, he started looking at the games and saying, wow, if you're not playing, this is boring. And why are people not coming to this sport? Why are people leaving after being here for an hour? And so he started seeing it from a different lens. And so while he's thinking about this, I am working for a team thinking about the community aspect and just what I grew up around and saying, yeah, I'm not feeling that at a lot of these games. It was a lot of stale. It was a lot of corporate sponsors and not very family friendly, fun. And so we're both having the wheels turn on what we envision the perfect ballpark experience to be. And so then when we got together, that idea just exploded and we just molded around each other's ideas and Really, it was a, a perfect match. <laughs> yeah. And tell us about the conversation of what, let's purchase a team and let's make this happen. Yeah. So that, that didn't come right away. <laughs> no. So you met, you have both have ideas. You believe in the community aspect, the family aspect. He is looking at the creativity aspect of doing something different and exactly. breaking the mold and disrupting the game. Yes. Okay, exactly. Awesome. That's a, that's exactly what it was. And so he and I were just feeding off of each other for years. How can we do this? How can we make this better? And when we did decide to get together in, I think it was 2011, I moved to North Carolina where he was the general manager of a team. And we started working together at that team. And slowly but surely, fortunately, we had success there. And we grew our attendance and we grew the national media uh, for this team. And we were doing a lot of creative, wacky things that were just getting attention and, and causing fun in the community, really. And so... At one point, our mentors who owned the team mentioned that they were ready to move on and not have the ownership anymore. And so Jesse and I are just getting started in our career as they're signing off. And so it was the perfect time for us to really dive in. We did not start with the idea of, hey, we're going to buy into this. We're going to have the ownership. But the idea presented itself. Our mentors were, were wonderful with us and helping us decide, is this the best fit for us? They wanted us to take it over since we were the ones that had grown it. And so we bought that team from them in North Carolina in 2015. And so that's, or 2013, I'm sorry. So we really took over things there and continued growing that thinking, hey, this is going to be the team that we focus on. 
But then another opportunity presented itself a couple of years later. And that's when we bought the team in North in uh, Georgia. And so that's when the Savannah Bananas started. So there were two teams at that time that looking back, we never thought we'd be owning anything. And now we're millions of dollars in debt. Let me preface by saying we we really went into debt to take this on, but we believed in it so much. And we had seen the success that it was worth it to us to invest young in our marriage early on. We're in our twenties, but it was worth it for us to go that deep and build up these communities and these teams. Yeah. So the North Carolina team, do you still own that one as well? No. So once the Savannah Bananas grew to uh, a fraction really now of the size, but it was big for us then. And when we started our family, it was too much to juggle. So we did uh, sell the the North Carolina team and just went all in on the Savannah Bananas. Yeah. And just curious, the North Carolina team, does it continue to implement and use, and I'm going to use the quote that you just shared, you are causing fun. (laughs) Are they still causing fun? Do they still implement some of the ideas that you Unfortunately, doing? it has yeah. completely changed. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that happens, right? If you're not yeah. focusing on certain things, understood. When you purchased Savannah Bananas, how long did it take before it started? For, let me read some of the additional statistics. Your 2023 tour had more than 550,000 fans, ticket waiting list of more than a million names. The team's TikTok following is past 7.6 million, more than doubling last year's total and larger than Major League Baseball's official fee. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> it sounds great, of course, but it didn't start that way, I'm no, sure. No, not how at all. Long, how long did it take? And what do you think? Because you have these ideas okay, we did it at this team. We can certainly do it because we have even more stake in this. We own this one full out. Great. You did with North Carolina too. But if you were going to focus on it, you have all these ideas. It's finally to put everything that we're on paper into action. What's the turning point and how long does it take? Yeah, the beginning was really rough. We moved to Savannah, Georgia, first of all, so we're outsiders. And that was key in the beginning. The community was not open to that. We were outsiders. Then we come in and we name the new baseball team after a fruit, the bananas. People are so upset with us to the point where we were really receiving death threats and hate mail. It was absurd, of course, that people would take it that seriously, but it was really bleak in the beginning because we were outsiders. We came in, we did something very untraditional in the name, and it was just not what people were used to. And I think any entrepreneurs, they run into this at some point. People are comfortable with what they know. People were giving us name suggestions of becoming the Braves. And to us, we're saying, there's a very popular, very big team just down the road in Atlanta named the Braves. Like We can't be the Braves. And why would we want to be the Braves? But it's that mindset of people, that's just what they know. And so when we come in and we become the bananas, we are crazy circus, outlandish people that should be thrown out of town. And we were told that over and over. So I think the hardest year was probably that first year because we're coming in and telling them what we're going to provide the community, but we weren't able to show them because the games hadn't started. So we work an entire off season, an entire year, basically until the following summer when our games can start. And that first year, it was just our word against their thought. And it was a tough year. We couldn't get anybody to work for us. It was hard to get people to play for us. 
because we were a joke to the community. Now, I will say when we came out with the name Bananas, we did get a lot of national recognition. Fortunately, the logo was very strong. And so we were on ESPN, we were in these big articles. And so nationally, people were talking about us, maybe not the kindest things, but they were talking about us, which, hey, all publicity is good publicity. That was something that did help, I think, in the beginning, but locally, it was a very hard struggle. So Fast forward to our games actually starting in 2016, and somehow we were able to convince enough people to come out, 4,000 people, and sell out the game. And that's really when things started turning because everything that we had promised them, the dancing players, the fun, the banana nanas, the senior citizen dance team, the dad bod cheerleading squad, the man nanas, as we call them, those guys came and they showed up and they entertained and the community said, okay, wait a minute, maybe this is going to be fun. So still a slow trickle of people switching over to, to enjoy us and to believe us, but it was easier once we were able to show them rather than just preach about it. And so now, I guess now, years later, eight years into it, it just continues to gain more and more momentum. Yes. Fortunately, it has gone from being just popular in Savannah and people coming to Savannah to there being enough demand that hundreds of communities and ballpark operators from across the world really reach out to us and ask if we will bring the show to them. And so one of the things that we're we're really proud of and that we focus on every day is that every single show is completely different than the show before. Um, every night our script is scripted down to the minute of, when I say scripted, it's it's the music It's the emotions that you're going to feel as a fan. It's the smells. It's the dances. All of those things are choreographed. The sport itself, the game itself is not scripted at all. So that alone, every time you show up, it's going to be different, right? But there are so many people who cannot sit through multiple hours of a sporting event. And so we try to make sure that we're controlling everything else, all of the other emotions, all of the other sounds, all of the other things that happen in your experience when you're at an event. And so all of those things are different night to night. That way people can't say, oh, I've already been, I've already seen them because we want this to continue to grow in popularity. Every time you come, we want you to have a different, better experience. And that's why regardless of the city or the community or whether we're still playing in Savannah, wherever we are, there's still an interest in coming because you don't know what you're going to see that night. It's just remarkable. And I'm assuming that was your thought and Jesse's thought that if we want to make this sustainable, it needs to be different. This episode of podcast, most people don't, but you do is brought to you by cozy felt. If you're looking for the softest and most comfortable faux fur blankets, look no further than cozy felt. They're dedicated to providing top quality products in beautiful packages, making you the star of gift giving or the recipient of true gratitude. Cozy Faux offers a wide range of products, including robes, scarves, throws, baby blankets, and pet blankets, in addition to their signature blankets. These Cozy Faux throws have been handmade using the finest luxurious faux fur since 2007, and each one is proudly made in the USA. Cozy Faux also believes in giving back. For every 20 blankets sold, they donate one to unitedharmony.org to help those in need stay warm and cozy. Visit their website at CozyFo.com to see what makes this company so special. Don't settle for anything less than the best when it comes to comfort and style. Choose CozyFo today. Yeah, it really is a team effort. I know we'll get into this, but our, our entire staff now and our teams of, of 
of athletes are comprised of just very creative go-getters. And so our ideas come from a pool of people. Jesse is very creative. He leads our creative department. He does come up with a lot of it, but what he's done so well is teach people how to think and how to come up with different ideas and push the boundaries and just put this creative lens on where some people will just say, I'm not creative. I can't do that. You have an idea muscle. If you don't work that idea muscle, you're not going to get more creative. You're not going to get better at that. But if it's something that you work on and you're in an environment where you're encouraged to work that idea muscle, you will become more creative and you will come up with better ideas. And so we just have an entire culture that's built around that. So the ideas, the new things that we put in the script every night, they can come from anybody on our team. And I think you really nailed it with that summary that you've created the culture in which ideas are welcomed. Nothing is probably going to be too outlandish as long as it's (laughs) safe and respectable. You have an idea, share it. And we embrace and we want to hear that. As you were just talking, Emily, about every show is different and you script things of how people are going to feel and the smells and the music and the dances. That is so unusual. As a motivational speaker myself, I'm thinking about, okay, music to start music for drama, music, different music for the king, whatever it is, but I've not been able to incorporate all of those other elements. And yes, I will try to pause at a particular time, but I also want it to come from the heart. So it does not appear to be too scripted, right? Get mm-hmm. your here and yeah. show the, the deer running. Or, no, we're not going to do all those types of things. <laughs> but to get down to the point where you are even looking at not only the sites, the sounds and the smells, unbelievable. Can you share? I'm a little thrilled with the smell aspect because there's different event companies that are trying to incorporate the aspect of, and I'm sure there's a better word for it, but Scientology, what's the right? (laughs) I don't even know what the word is, but how are you able to use smells? I'm really curious. Yeah, we're definitely not there yet with having everything figured out. Um, But we do learn a lot from Disney, Um, regardless of what your feelings are towards that company. They've figured a lot of things out and they know exactly how many feet it takes when you're walking down Main Street to where you're going to need a garbage can or to where you're going to want to smell something different. And so we've started to put that in our ballpark. So we have things that our popcorn machines are every certain number of concession stands. So when you come and you feel like you're having that authentic feel where we cook is near where a lot of the parking is. So when you get out of your car, you can actually smell the barbecue. We actually have little machines set up throughout the ballpark that give out banana, like Laffy Taffy scent. So Uh it's more of an on-brand thing. So yes, you can smell the hot dogs and the popcorn, but okay, now you're thinking about bananas because that's what you're smelling before you even walk in and see the field you can smell bananas. So just things that we're testing, but we know that all of those senses are touched. And if we can evoke something in all of them, it's going to help your experience. And so we're just constantly testing with things like that. Yeah. One other thing, Emily, that you shared was talking about a lot of organizations are coming to you and saying, how are you doing this? How are you doing that? And just one quick example, my nephew worked for Pocono Raceway. Mm-hmm. And they've had a phenomenal job. Uh, they had a phenomenal season. First time in 26 years that they sold out the entire stadium, the entire infield for camp. Just phenomenal. Now, everyone wants to know. They want to talk to AJ and, and Ben, 
the general manager, what did you guys do so differently? Are companies, are baseball teams coming to you and asking you? No. Okay. Are other organizations coming and saying, how can you create more audience engagement? We hear way more from people outside of the industry than we do from people inside the industry. And I think there's a couple of different reasons for that. And and I will say we're guilty of this too. When we try to learn, we don't go to other ballparks. And it's not to say that they're not doing things right. A lot of them are, but we are constantly trying to get outside of our industry to learn from others. We go to the Disney worlds. We go to the amusement parks. We go on cruises. We go to all-inclusive resorts. We go to golf, golf ranges. Where can we have a great experience where we can pull some of that in and give that to the people at our ballpark? Because that's going to be different. And we always, we live by whatever is normal, do the exact opposite. So Mm -hmm. if we just went to all the other ballparks and copied what they were doing and brought it back to our ballpark, really not getting outside of the wheel here and, and trying something different. So it's interesting because we intentionally go outside of our industry to learn. But now what we see happening is that people in our industry look at us and say, oh, I could not do that. There's too much red tape. We can't do that. We hear that sentence all the time whenever we talk to people in our industry. And there is some truth to that. We're an independent team. We have much looser regulations than an affiliated ball when you do have a a major league team that's looking over your shoulder. It's just different. But I think that there are things that could be tested and could be pushed that people might just be in a comfort zone and don't want to step outside. So the people who we're hearing from are all sorts of different industry leaders who are just trying to do what we're doing and that's disrupt what they're in. Um, Jesse does a lot of speaking around the world, just like you do. And so he's constantly talking to lawn care companies and car dealerships and people who want to disrupt what they're doing. And so they see what we're doing and they're trying to bring some of that fun and joy into their industry. So it's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk to just about three more questions, if you're okay. When we, when you were talking about the outcome of the game, the sports element. What is the record of the Savannah Bananas? So this year, we just finished up our world tour for this year, and we actually lost, the Bananas lost the entire season by just one game to the party animals. That's our second team, which we can get into if you want. But that just proves that it's not scripted. All summer, all year, they were neck and neck. They were back and forth. But these guys are really competitive and they really want to play. And we know that at the end of the day, we can entertain people like crazy. But if the baseball on the field is not real, then what we're doing is not going to work. Because at some point, people will say, eh, it's fake. I've already seen it before. We get compared to the Globetrotters a lot. And we have learned a lot from them. And and we respect everything that we're doing and that they're doing. We're close with a lot of their executives. When you go into that game, who's going to win? The Globetrotters are always going to beat the generals. And so we want to make sure that in our games, you don't show up thinking, oh, I know what the score is going to be at the end. That's just another element of surprise and fun that we can put in our games is leaving the game completely natural and letting the the, the competition happen. So yeah, oh, incredible. Tell me a little bit about the athletes. Yeah. So like I said, in the beginning, nobody wanted to play for us. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, fortunately, now we have thousands that are are trying to be recruited by our team. So our guys have all had at least college D1 experience. Most of them have come from professional baseball. And so either 
they have left because of their own personal reasons or because they maybe haven't been signed. But our guys, I would say, are competitive with most minor league level talent. Mm -hmm. Are they being recruited because they're becoming more popular and more famous? Let's be honest, right? With all the followers on social media, are any of them being recruited to go play for Major League Baseball? Yeah, some of them. So we actually had a guy on our team this year. I think he had four offers from major league teams to join their minor league systems and he turned them all down. So we feel fortunate now to be at the point where these guys feel like they're such a part of our family and that they are having such an impact by being on our team that it is worth it to them to turn down these professional contracts. Mm-hmm. If you ask these guys when they were in college, hey, if you got an offer, they would never dream of turning it down, but they're in this situation now where they're performing in front of sold out crowds every single night. They sign autographs for hours. Personally, their social media has skyrocketed because people know who they are as an individual and they're just having so much fun. They're having fun, which is why most of these athletes start playing the sport in the first place two decades ago is because they fell in love with the game. And so it's it brings us so much joy to see that come back for them. A lot of them get caught up in the contracts and the seriousness of it. Jesse was the same in college. It was, it was so much pressure on himself to, to get signed, to be seen by somebody. And our guys are just not seeing that. They're having so much fun that they're playing better and they're relaxed and they're making an impact. And so they're grateful to be a part of the organization. And of course, we're grateful to have them. Emily, that's that nine to five versus the five to 10. I'm having more fun doing my five to 10. I could be making more money nine to five, but I'm going to choose my five to 10 for passion and for purpose. Yeah. You shared also the aspect of community and family. Now that you're established, I know you do a lot of giving back and I want to share your personal giving back here in a moment, but can you share how the community has now embraced you and what you are doing for the community. Yeah, eight years ago, when things were really tough in Savannah, I could never have imagined the support that we have now. And it's just unbelievable. And I think we walk alongside both the community of Savannah and the community that we're in, regardless of where we are, whatever weekend it is in the year, we really try to make an impact. So um, it starts with our people. We, we're so fortunate now to travel with about 125 crew. Uh, that includes our players. It includes all of our entertainers, our full-time staff. But when we travel, we bring a crew and every single one of them is just an incredible human being. We do not have anybody on our team who I would not trust with my kids, who I would not trust in front of a microphone. Every single one of them is just an incredible person. And because of the people that they are, we are able to make such an impact. Every time we hear from somebody that somebody is sick or this kid is going through a tough time or we get so many thousands probably of these heartfelt messages. If one of our guys or somebody in our team gets a hold of it and they have the bandwidth to do something, they go and do it. And it doesn't come through me or Jesse. Half the time, we don't even know about it until afterwards, but they are constantly going out in the community and doing these visits. We love that. It's obviously giving back is what we're all about. Because we do so many of those little things, though, I will say it was a little spread out and there really wasn't 
very much organization to it. So still love that we do all that. Uh, But Jesse and I did want to start something that was a little bit more focused from the company. And so personally, he and I are big advocates for the foster care world. We've been foster parents for three years. And one night in the middle of the night, he woke up with the genius name of Bananas Foster. (laughs) And this idea that we've been mulling over for the last couple of years of how can we make a great impact? We know we're doing all these little things. We know we're showing up to the hospital bed to visit somebody on a rough day. But how can we do this on a bigger platform? And so we launched Bananas Foster this past year, just a couple months ago. And the idea is to celebrate those who are already making a difference in the foster care community, but educate and inspire other people to get involved. It's a taboo topic. We don't talk about it or hear about it a lot in society. But if we can use our platform to get the word out there, and fortunately, just in the last couple of months, we have, we've had tons of families sign up for more information and to try to become licensed foster families. And we know that we will make a greater impact um, across the nation by talking about this in every community that we go to. Starting in Savannah, that's where our home is. That's where we're based. So we're making a big impact there. But in every community that we touch across the world, if we can come in and educate people and inspire people to get involved while you know, patting the person on the back who's already been doing it unrecognized for 10 years, that feels pretty powerful. Yeah. And Emily, first of all, thank you to you and Jesse for being foster parents. Incredible. And before we hit record and published, I was asking questions and I'm a little embarrassed, Emily, and I I don't mind sharing this. And this will go to about 100,000 people. So it's not 7.1 million, but (laughs) we'll get the word out there. But I was asking questions, you know, Emily, do you mind? Tell me, what does fostering children mean? I know you're fostering two girls, but what does that mean? Does that mean long-term, short-term? Does that mean with hopes? Like, I didn't know, which is embarrassing. But no, Emily, if you ask okay. me about fostering a dog, we fostered <laughs> a dog before. Our neighbors across yeah. the street are fostered. I can tell you that process. Yeah. So you're right. We definitely need to talk more about it. And I shared the story of Brett and Callie, our friends that adopted They fostered Mm -hmm. and then adopted a little baby boy named Jax. Great. I'm just beginning to learn more about that. Why do you think people don't feel comfortable in talking about fostering children? Any idea? First of all, don't feel bad because most of us don't know until we get involved. And it was one of those things where Jesse and I didn't know a lot either. But once we learned about it, then it became something that we couldn't look away from. And so it's common to not know about it. The idea behind fostering is to walk alongside children and families who are struggling for whatever reason. Sometimes it is addiction. Sometimes um, it's abuse. Sometimes it's poverty. Sometimes it's lack of education. There are so many different reasons that some of us end up in bad situations. Sometimes it's generational and it's by no fault of these kids' parents, they've just been not as blessed as you and I have. And we don't, they don't have the education or the resources to raise their children in a healthy manner. So what happens is when a a community comes in and and removes children from a home because it's unsafe, um, they need somewhere to go. And so that's when foster families step in. And the idea for us was to join this community, to take these children into our home, But to care for them short term while mom and dad or grandma or aunt or whomever it's going to be, who's going to be this children, this child's caretaker gets healthy. Sometimes that means they need to prove 
that they have stable housing or that they have stable job or that they've, you know, gone through rehab or they've taken the classes, whatever it was that will get them back on track. Mm -hmm. And so it is often looked at as short term. And the idea is that they will always reunify with some sort of biological family member might not be who they were living with before, but who can we pull in from their family to, to get these children back to? Now, I don't know the exact percentage. I, I think it's around 40% of the time there is not going to be an immediate biological family member that is a safe reunification option. And so that is when children are adopted out of foster care. Yes, we have two two lovely girls in our home at this time. It has been deemed that they are not going to go to another family member. So we are pursuing adoption as their foster parents. And so hopefully we will have a long-term relationship and, and keep them in our homes forever. But the idea for us was to just keep them safe love them, care for them, educate them until they were to go back with family. And so that is the goal overall of foster care. Mm, Amazing what you're doing, uh, you and Jesse. That is just incredible. And what I like about your story is that success, from my perspective, I didn't know you eight years ago. I didn't know you 20 years ago. But it doesn't seem to be changing you in a negative way. It seems to be changing you in such a positive way allowing you to do more, give more. And yes, you don't need to be millions of dollars in debt. Hopefully you're in the plus right now. (laughs) But with that, you're able to do such great things for communities, for children, for your foundation. It's just, it is so unique. And that is specifically why, and thank you, shout out to Linda Beltran for introducing us. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the show. Last question for you, Emily, and we could talk all day and I want to make sure we're giving out proper contact information before we conclude. What is next for Savannah Bananas? So our goal is to just keep providing joy and building fans. And so we want to serve as many fans as we can. We do a lot of that through technology. A lot of them watch our games on YouTube, but there are more and more people who want to see us live. And so the more fans we can serve, the more joy that we can spread. We feel like that's our goal. That's what we're working towards. So it's bigger stadiums, more stadiums around the world is where we're headed. Fantastic. Fantastic. Emily, if someone would like to learn more about Banana Foster, what is the best place to direct them to? Yeah. So just learning about the bananas in general, thesavannabananas.com. And you can find information on Bananas Foster there as well. But bananasfoster.org is the actual website. And we're just connectors, really. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel, but we are just trying to connect you to somebody in your community that might need support. Even if it doesn't mean becoming a foster family yourself, there's so many ways to support kids in care and families who are supporting those kids. So that's what we're trying to do. Not necessarily reinventing the wheel with regard to the foster world, but certainly reinventing the wheel as it comes to baseball. Uh, (laughs) Emily Cole cannot thank you enough, owner of the Savannah Bananas, doing such gracious things, not only for your internal team, but for external communities, bringing fun, building fans, helping others. Absolutely exceptional. Thank you for doing what most people don't, Emily. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. <laughs>